Welcome back to Cinema Animals Nights. Uh, with me, I have Mike Lochran from Philadelphia. I have a Negroni and a pen. And Mikhail Britt here in Los Angeles. My son just vomited all over the car. So uh, that's, that's, yeah. that's about sums up how I feel about the movie that we watched. Man, I had to clean up. Uh, Hazel, my dog, threw up 15 times <laughs> on Friday. We gave her a new medication that made her sick. And uh, I was working in my office uh, with Adam uh, and the dog walked in and threw up. And I was like, one sec, <laughs> let me get to that. And then she proceeded to throw up basically once every 20 minutes for the next like four hours. That's like, um, actually, I, that would be a really good uh, horror movie about a dog that just keeps throwing up every 20 minutes. And like, right, yeah. like the second you wash your hands and sit back down <laughs> at your computer, the dog just pukes again because it was really it was pretty remarkable. Uh, but I didn't want to like I didn't want to take away her water dish, of course, because I didn't want her to be dehydrated. But she was just horking down water and then walking like 15 paces away, waiting for mm. it to become like a slime in her stomach and then puking it up. Oh, poor Hazel. Hey, hey. Um, Simon, can you introduce me again real quick? Mike Lochran in Philadelphia. My cat has been pissing on the stove. That's true. But oh I feel bad because I said all this stuff about how great I'm doing. And then you guys have these horrible things. But it's true. The cat's been pissing on the stove. We don't know what to do. Uh, oh. Hopping up on the stove and pissing on the stovetop? Right on the stovetop. Pissing on the stovetop. It would be yeah. funny if she was pissing into a cup and then <laughs> carrying the cup up onto the countertop and then pouring it on. But she's just hopping right on. And then tonight she actually peed on the like the island in the kitchen, which is wood. So that's bad because it's you know porous. Yeah, cat urine is one of those rare kind of universal substances that everyone yeah. hates. Yeah. Uh, if any listeners have any tips for Mike, any pet <laughs> tips, any cat tips, um, we are, of course, dealing with a cat movie this week, the 1977 horror anthology, The Uncanny. Which um, doesn't have any cat piss. Usually, you know, Simon, we watched a cat movie a couple of weeks ago that had some cat piss uh, horror sequences in it. The TV, what was that called? Is that real? Is that true? What are you talking about? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when we watched, before we watched Tanya's Island, we watched a made-for-TV move, horror movie about cats. We watched Strays. We watched the film Strays. That's absolutely right. I totally yeah. forgot that we watched the, the 1990 made-for-USA <laughs> horror film Strays. Which is a you guys killer are cat. Always horror movie. showing off. It's like whatever I say about an animal, you're like, oh, didn't we get together and have a great time? Just like two bros talking about things, and we watched that movie about anything that I say that involves an animal. <laughs> yeah, we saw a movie about that. Well, I I particularly enjoy killer cat movies. This this was my selection this week. Uh, I think Tanya's Island was was you last week, Mikkel. But um, I chose The Uncanny because I enjoy horror anthologies, but I also really like killer cat cinema which is one that we'd you know that's a genre we delved a little bit in uh into on our former podcast but it's it's my favorite and it's my favorite for the obvious reasons which is uh cats a are not scary and b cannot be trained yes. so in in killer cat cinema you you get like a really unique phenomenon which is cats being chucked from just out of frame onto terrified seeming actors and it's one of my like favorite things. I, I never get I never get sick of it. And the uncanny has quite a lot of that. My my kids have this saying from school: "You get what you get, and you don't get upset." And that's kind of what happens when you're making a film with cats. <laughs> I thought you were talking about how you feel about this podcast, but, <laughs> but yes, I, I would yeah, also, also good, good advice. advice for our listeners. There is no shortage of monsters to haunt our dreams. Like the creature from the Black Lagoon, deadly aliens from outer space, giant ants, man-eating sharks, and bloodthirsty grizzly bears. But the most fiendish, the most fascinating, the most terrifying creature of all may be waiting for you round the next corner. Or living right in your own home. There's a um, lot of cat tossing too in the uncanny. I so yeah. the Blu-ray of this comes with an interview with one of the actresses who uh, very, I guess they specifically asked her about the cat chucking, and uh, <laughs> and and she says that the cats were just kind of helped along, 
Um, she says, she's like, they land on their feet. So you don't, so she's like, they weren't really throwing them. They were just kind of helping them to leap. And, uh, and I thought that was uh, kind of well put. Um, <laughs> this yeah. film is another Canadian uh, tax loophole production by coincidence. We delved into that last week on Tanya's Island. This is another one. This is another, this is another one of those. This is a movie that was made uh, as a British uh, Quebec co-production with a Canadian director who'd just done the, the kind of exploitation uh, Richard Speck inspired uh, movie born born from hell or whatever it is born in hell um, was it, um, Simon was was Deadly Eyes one of those movies too? No, Deadly Eyes was oh actually great question. I actually hey, now that you, you say that yeah, thank you now that you're saying that I'm, I'm I actually do not know I do not know if Deadly Eyes was a Canadian Texas actually, book production. It almost seemed to me like they were using the same houses too. Like all these be I think they were both shot in Montreal maybe or at least some of them and just these beautiful like 1920s uh mansions. Was it dead, Deadly Eyes? Where did I thought Deadly Eyes was the one from New York City with the rats. What was it's, Deadly Eyes? It's oh, set sorry. in New York. Uh, it is a Canadian. It was shot, yeah. But it was shot in in Canada and uh, Toronto. Uh, Deadly yeah. Eyes would not, I guess, technically qualify as Canadian tax loophole for the sole reason that it was made in 1982, which was two years after they'd okay. stopped doing the 100% tax credit. So Deadly Eyes would have been a, like Deadly Eyes is a film that filmed in Canada for tax reasons, but it's not okay. technically a tax loophole movie just because that only describes really the era up to like, I guess, I think like 1982, didn't we figure it out? And that's like where it ended. Anyway, I don't Mikhail, know. Don't, don't feel bad that you thought it was set and shot in New York. It's a common misconception. It was in fact set in New York, but shot in Montreal. So I know you're beating yourself up about that. Yeah, um, listeners can't see that you're furiously writing down every word <laughs> Simon says, and punching yourself in the head. <laughs> But yeah, so I mean, Deadly Eyes is is similar for sure. The, um, but yeah, Toronto, this uh, whereas Uncanny was Montreal, um, mm -hmm. and was a British. I think Deadly Eyes was like a Chinese Italian co-production, and this is a British Canadian one. Where um, okay. so uh, there was a studio called Amicus in the late '60s, early '70s. Most listeners will be familiar with this that specialized in horror anthologies or portmanteau films. Uh, oh, I was, was going to quiz you on that word. Oh, you were? Yeah, yeah. but you're, you already got it. Well, you might know. Uh, you guys probably wouldn't know this, but uh, I, I've been involved in some horror anthologies, um, including including one this year, which I'm sure as as my friends, you've both uh, seen VHS 94 to, su to support me. But there's, I don't, are there animals in it? <laughs> well, you'd know if you'd, if you'd seen the film. Yeah. Well, no, I know I haven't seen it because I would have... <laughs> If there were animals in it, yeah, fair yeah, enough. No, wait, that's not right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so I uh, so I, I I know a little bit about the old the old horror anthology, and and this has actually always been one that I've enjoyed the most. But yeah, Amicus. So Amicus were kind of uh, responding to I guess what Hammer was doing. They were a bit of kind of like a Hammer Hammer inspired Hammer kind of ripoff to a certain extent, but they specialized in anthologies. And some of which are extraordinarily great. Tales from the Crypt, Vault of Horror, kind of EC Comics adaptations. And then after, I guess, uh, I think From Beyond the Grave in 1974, they decided they weren't doing those anymore because they hadn't, you know, diminishing returns. It had kind of peaked. It just wasn't doing as well, the horror anthology genre. But uh, one of the two partners in Amicus continued and he made subsequently The Uncanny and then in 1981, The Monster Club, which is another kind of weird Peter Cushing, uh, you know, just late amicus feeling film. Um, neither film did well. The Uncanny in particular did very poorly. Never was released in the U.S. commercially until 2019. And oh. uh, and with exclusive I, rights to Tubi. <laughs> well, uh, Severn mm -hmm. Films, Severn Films uh, uh, discovered the negative. I guess someone I guess the negative of this movie was thought lost. This was kind of a. A lost film. I first became aware of the uncanny due to a trailer that would show pretty frequently at New Beverly Cinema, uh, you know, Quentin Tarantino's little revival house here in Los Angeles. And on a lot of their horror movie nights, they'd show the trailer for the uncanny, which is this kind of famous trailer, which we're probably playing now. Years ago, people used to believe a cat was the devil in disguise. I'm beginning to think they were right. <laughs> No, no, cut! 
I said scream. Do you call that a scream? Those are spikes, real spikes coming towards you. I just don't feel scared. And it's just kind of a very funny trailer because, you know, it's it's quite histrionic about what then turns out to be cats being chucked into frame. And so I was always very excited, but you can never find this movie. It, never, it had never been released in the U.S. It was a flop in the U- U.K. and Canada. Um, but then Severin, I guess, someone found the negatives in a London vault uh, 2017 or so. And they were able to put it out on DVD and Blu-ray in 2019. Wait, how do you find a movie in a vault? Yeah, the negatives, the original like negatives were found in a vault is, is what I meant by that. Like, like they thought that uh, they thought that kind of the original materials for the film had been lost um, mm. and no one really was, I guess, too concerned about that. But the uh, the director of the film, I believe, uh, tr- ultimately was able to relocate the negatives because they also put out a DVD or a Blu-ray DVD of his prior film Born for Hell that I'd reference the Richard Speck one, which I haven't seen. But um, imagine a imagine a country so prosperous that they just have extra movies and vaults. They made so many great flicks. I mean, that's kind of Canada, Canadian tax loophole productions. They were they were inherently world. profitable. So as soon as like, they would come out, playing is that theaters, like a thing we can get into? Should we become like uh, oh, like Tomb Raiders, but for movies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I film restoration idea. and and kind of excavation. It, we are in a wonderful era for that with kind of you know 4k uhd and blu-ray and and i always am fascinated when like one of these films that that was thought buried turns up in some beaten up print that's kind of one of my obsessions but yeah uh, but the uncanny is like the best possible example of that <laughs> because uh because yeah because this is like this movie this movie would have been like lost to time maybe but now we can see it in all its pristine glory beautiful and see like the see like the cat food smeared on the actresses to get cats to uh, lick yeah, at their hands. Um, we had mentioned, somebody mentioned Tubi. Can we do a quick um, Tubi segment? Just really quick. Quick Tubi check-in. Um, <laughs> did you guys see any good commercials? I, I own kept... this film on disc. <laughs> oh, fuck. Okay. I kept seeing an annoying commercial for Olive Garden. That's I saw like, that a couple times. I did uh, see that, that one's super times. annoying. Um, yeah. It's like, it's like um, yeah. the 12 days of Christmas, but it's pasta And they themed. just showed the close-ups of the shrimp scampi and everything. Yeah. That was pretty good. I had an amazing um, trio of commercials <laughs> in the, my first commercial break, which I loved. It was uh, back to back to back. It was um, a, a pill for schizophrenia, followed by a boner <laughs> pill, followed by a gambling website. And I was like, hell Yeah. <laughs> Wow, this Tubi gets it. You're watching the Uncanny on like Sunday at like 10 a.m. Yeah. Tubi knows yeah, what you no, need. Earlier, I was watching it. I put it on at like 8:15 this morning before oh. I was like made a cup of coffee and I, I I fired up. I cranked up Tubi. How many TVs did you have to watch it on before you found a good TV for? It? Honestly, for me, it was one and done. Wow. wow. Yeah, I put it on the first TV and then that was it. Yeah, I mean, the funny thing about your the total lack of enthusiasm that the two of you have towards this motion picture, which that uh, is not true, Simon. I you haven't even asked me what I think about it yet. I don't. I, well, I wasn't. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> the 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 striking thing about the lack of enthusiasm that Mikhail has towards this film is I, I and this is a film that I was so excited to finally see a few years ago when I saw it uh, on disc for the first time. And, and I, I really just find this, uh, this movie, a soothing delight. Like when people talk to me about like why I love horror anthologies, uh, it, it's kind of this movie, which has like a premise that can't possibly sustain a feature length story. So they just kind of throw a few stories at you and, and they're kind of tonally askew, but they all are basically the same. They're directed obviously by the same person. Um, now, you know, when we make, anthology horror films almost all it's almost always kind of a short film showcase different filmmakers you know combining their work in a way that hopefully feels stylistically uniform you know we did that in a certain way with the vhs movies but uh you know the back in back in the amicus era they were just all directed by freddie francis this film is directed by denis hero um and this is his last film he directed it was written by michelle perry it was the only screenwriting credit his last one he has a story credit on the 1982 uh, alien exploitation classic extra um but everyone involved in this movie basically 
retired afterwards and and it was such a flop um that basically like i think everyone felt very like embarrassed about it but um but i i, I love it it's great it's a killer peter, cat peter cushing made movies after this right oh peter cushing worked pretty much uh until until he died uh yeah he he worked he worked for a long time donald pleasance continued to work i mean no one's samantha eggers no one's hurt no one's career was hurt by being in the uncanny except you know i think the people who conceived it oh um, i see what you mean right not the actors well, but the, the yeah and it, and it, i mean this is also i'm all i'm always fascinated and I, I i feel like i'm talking a little too much this episode but it was my movie it was my pick um does this cat have mustafles in does it have some mustafles in this movie <laughs> You're thinking of cats, like the the play, like Magical Mister Mistopheles. That's the play. Yeah, I think uh, he, I think this is his first film. No, it's a good question, though. It's a good question. I think he got his. Well, no. When did Cats? I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you from talking, Simon, because you are talking too much. Um, when did Cats the stage play come out? It it certainly found question. its popularity in the 80s. I would assume in the 1980s. I wasn't. I, I just started wondering which came first. Was this like why did they make this movie? This movie was before Cats on the Internet was funny. Well, I mean, they I made Cats... this movie. They made this movie because the Amicus films, like uh, you know, Vault of Vault of Horror and Asylum and all, and now and now the screaming starts and all those movies had like performed well. But what's interesting about I guess 1970s horror to me is you have on one hand like movies like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and The Exorcist were coming out and like really shocking people. But at mm. the same time, you know, Hammer was still making like Dracula movies. And and so this movie came out after like that, like after The Exorcist and after The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, when horror was kind of in this weird mm. place. And uh, I think uh, I think it's safe to say that audiences were not into this at the time. This movie originally had a got an X rating. Did you know that? I did know that. Which why? Is... Why did that happen? It didn't even have any catnip in it. I know why. Because that um, the hot maid eats cat food off a piece of bread. <laughs> oh, I was that, I was going to ask about that. If that was supposed yeah. to be cat food or peanut, I was like, why is it? Why am I supposed to be nervous about her eating peanut butter? First of all, we, need to do the, we have to do the plot of the movie. <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely cat food. Because I thought, oh, she's yeah. becoming a cat. I thought the whole horror was going to be that oh. she got scratched by a cat and becomes a cat, like happens with vampires. That's mm -hmm. not realistic. But it's not realistic at all. It's more realistic that the maid got hungry <laughs> because she was locked in the closet for like a night. And then she had to smear the cat food on a piece of bread. But that's how many, totally, how many nights? Would you have to be locked in a closet before you would eat cat food? Two nights. Yeah, at least. Two nights. Yeah, at two least. nights. Never one night, it wouldn't get the best of me. I yeah. would get through one night. Yeah, but probably so. if I got to a second night, I would eat. Also, it depends on, because she had bread that looked really good, and she spread the cat food on the bread. Yeah. That's different been, than just eating. It might have been all right. It might have tasted okay. Have you guys ever tasted cat food? No. No. I'm worried you have, though, based on the way you asked that. I've eaten cat food. Why? Yeah. Well, I was curious. You just take a little kibble, you chew on it. You're like, all right, that's what the cats. Oh, eat. you oh, that's ate different. That's dry, different. That's dry cat. Yeah. Oh, yeah, different. dry cat food. Dry cat food. No, that's that's yeah. Yeah, we've all eaten dry cat food. That's normal. So you've yeah, yeah. okay yeah no no I haven't eaten wet cat food. I've eaten tuna fish, which I know Mike Lochran hates. I don't like tuna fish. I like when I lived fish. when I lived with you in college, you'd get really <laughs> mad at me <laughs> for so leaving. Mad. <laughs> leaving my like uh, smelly tuna fish cans around. <laughs> yeah, I, it's probably I shouldn't have gotten mad at you for it, <laughs> but no? it is true that I, I don't like it. Yeah, I think uh, that's okay. It's okay. MJ eats it. I get mad at her now. She eats it <laughs> like once a month, and I'll like hear a can of it crack open, and I'll I'll come stomping down the steps, <laughs> and I'll be like, "You're just like my friend, Mikel." <laughs> so in the 1977 film The Uncanny, Peter Cushing plays Wilbur Gray. Uh, and the the uh, the framing device of this anthology film is he is a nonfiction author who is pitching a book to his publisher and freaking out he's about it. Mike, freaking out. he's pitching a book that appears to be roughly two thousand manuscript pages. Mm -hmm. So, Mike, you uh, you would probably be the person most able to tell us: is this is that is the way this is portrayed in the film? Is it realistic to the modern to the publishing industry? At it time? is realistic. The first thing you do is you fly to Montreal, and then <laughs> with a big binder. <laughs> yeah, all these meetings take place in person, and and they're mostly in Montreal. And you bring not a binder, but a, I think it's called a file of facts. 
Yes. So he's Which he, actually in my in my notes, that was the first note I made about this movie. It just says, I love file effects. I love those things. <laughs> These are like the the brown things with a uh, elastic cord that you stretch around it. And they're kind and of accordion-y, right? Accord- yeah. It'll expand. If you have, let's say you wrote a 50 page book about how cats are trying to take over the world, it'll fit. Let's say you write a 2000 page book about that same subject. It'll also fit because it expands to fill uh, whatever you need. Kind of, um, do you guys remember that powdered drink, like like burpee or whatever, when you were a kid that you could like expand or contract the the containers? <laughs> no. Sounds, I don't no. know. I don't think that's real. Well, anyway, uh, so so he's pitching to his publisher this book about like, but it's like a nonfiction book about how cats are evil. That's the pitch, basically. Is is it's a book about how cats are evil, and he's using all these historical cases of cats being evil. And his publisher is like, but I have a lovable cat right here. And and he does. He has a cute little like white Persian cat. He's uh, a thug who's secretly a little thug ass cat. Well, all cats are secretly <laughs> like like thugs in this film. I guess so, yeah. And and certainly this cat is not to be trusted. And so the framing device is Peter Cushing trying to convince his publisher to publish his book about how cats are evil by telling him stories about how cats are evil. Uh, Simon, did your DVD start with a a gong, a guy hitting a gong? Yes, that's a great question. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah. yeah, it did. Good. Yeah, that was a great. Uh, before we even wait, get into guy, the... did, wait, 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 one more thing about that. Did the guy have his shirt on or off in yours? I don't remember. He had it off. It was off. Yeah, it was off. Yeah, but if you watch the Tubi version, you remember stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> I thought the cr- and before because we, we're getting into the plot of the movie, but even before that. The credit sequence was great. I was pretty <laughs> stoked Let's on the credit sequence. Yeah, 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 slow it down, man. Uh, <laughs> the credits were great. I wrote that in my notes. Yeah, <laughs> really good. Yeah, very slow. cool, cool kind of art. Um, stylish, yeah, stylish. Yeah, and then um, and then we have we start off with that quote by the poet Ted Hughes, Mike. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, well, Ted Hughes, um, was, a like a, a major British poet of like the middle 20th century, um, who, who, you know, won all the awards and did all the things and was married to Sylvia Plath. And, um, we always knew that he was not a good husband to Sylvia Plath. And then in the past, like maybe five years, um, we learned like the extent to which he was, uh, an abusive horror. Uh, so uh, not the best, like if you're making a movie today, you wouldn't open it with a stanza from a, a, a Ted Hughes poem, especially if like T.S. Eliot has an entire book about cats that the musical Cats is based on, like that's kind of <laughs> low hanging fruit. You might just go for T.S. Eliot. Yeah. Um, but that's Ted Hughes. I don't remember the quote, but it's a bit ominous. It's like, it's, yeah, I wrote like, down the first line. He he leaps and lightly walks upon sleep. His mind, it says his mind on the moon, but I don't, I think that must be a typo. I don't think that's what the, <laughs> the poem is. It could be, but I, it doesn't really matter. It's a, you know, it's one of these things where uh, like a poem is being used to introduce a subject matter in a pretty way. And that's kind of all it is. So it's like, this is going to be a, a movie about cats. Mm. Mm, Here's four lines of poetry about cats. It's a good way to put it. But yeah. it is nice. Like it was, it's, I was thinking how rare it would be for a movie to be made in 2021. Like, in the sci- like illiterate, illiberal times uh, with a, a poem at the beginning. VHS 94 does not open with a poem about a VHS cassette, which we it could, it should have. I mean, yeah. it should have. You don't even, I don't even know that you know that for a fact. <laughs> So, so you think um, it was got the X rating because she ate cat food? I'm glad you came back to that. I because I, I love to ramble endlessly about past <laughs> eras of cinema on Cinema Animals Nights. Um, and I don't know how this works in the UK, but in the US, certainly you'll get a lot of exploitation films uh, of that era would give themselves an X rating because they could because it wasn't like an official MPA rating. And uh, uh, like a self-proclaimed X rating for your- yeah. So oh. say say you have like a, a tame cheesy movie with like no no boobs or gore in it. You know, a girl girl school screamers or one of those, 
and you slap it with an X rating, which you can do, and then a bunch of people will see it, assuming it has uh, boobs and gore, cool. like and in movie. fact, uh, it has nothing. But you can technically say this is an X rated movie because, like NC seventeen is a like trademarked rating, but X is just kind of a generic like no no kids allowed. Huh. I will show you what terror means. How are you going to convince the people that what you're writing about is true? I had access to the police statements and the doctor's report on the bodies. Believe me, I do know what happened. First story is an old lady who's getting her will approved and turns out she's leaving it to everything to her cats and her, I don't know, her son or her cousin or some some guy nephew 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 that's right wants to get the money and the will and convince he's he has a relationship with this lady's uh maid sexual relationship and uh convinces her to go into the safe and get the will and the cats prevent her from doing this and attack her and then she eats some cat food on bread. She's all scratched up. I mean, the cats, yeah, the cats get thrown at her from all directions. She gets all scratched up. She's nervous to leave the room. The cats seem to go away and she does leave the room. Oh, and she sees that the cats have eaten the old lady. They've eaten her up. Eaten, uh, eat, like they eat most of the old lady's body overnight. Pretty quick. The cats are really hungry too. Everyone's yeah. pretty hungry in this sequence. It's, it's a, it's a <laughs> yeah, it's a short film about hunger. <laughs> Uh, allegedly, if you die, uh, your cat will eat you much more quickly than your dog. I have oh. heard that. Really? Yeah. yeah, yeah like like uh, when people die, you know, it's pretty common that elderly people die alone with their animals. Uh, I, I, I laugh just because we're having such a great time on this episode. <laughs> and, um, you know, shut-ins die with their pets. And, and uh, so there's unfortunately a fair amount of documented evidence about how quickly uh, your pet will start eating your flesh. If it's yeah. hungry, yeah. Uh, Hazel, I've always suspected a ha- our, our, uh, our dog Hazel's a rescue dog whose previous owner was elderly and passed away. That's kind of limited information. <laughs> I've always suspected that Hazel ate her former owner. <laughs> you can see the way she looks at us and like sniffs at us. You she can see she's testing it. You would think you'd, you'd be able to smell it on her breath for a long time too. the forbidden meat. Mm. Yeah, mm, I don't know. I do. I did want to say this segment was uh, this was the one where I watched the interview with the actress, uh, the actress who I watched the interview with uh, about making this film. She played uh, that was. Uh, oh, yeah. Su- who was which Susan was Haglian, who played uh, the maid. Um, oh, she yeah. played the okay. maid uh, who got all the cats thrown on her. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So that was so that was her take on it is they were more helped along rather than uh, tossed outright. Uh, and so the, the guy who's writing the will calls the old lady and she doesn't answer. And then they go to the house to investigate and they find that she's dead and they find that the maid has now been attacked by the cats and dead. And then the cats jump out and they they kill the nephew and they bite him in the neck and kill him pretty quick as well. And that's the first proof that the cats are supernatural, all uh, kind of omnipotent beings that, that are gangster as hell. Yeah, they're like the 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 puppeteers. Yeah. So the and, and the first segment of this takes place in England, uh, and was filmed in England. That's another weird that, thing about this. Okay, uh, this, and it's this, supposed this, to be like in the 1920s, I think. Uh, I, 1912. I think that's why I didn't like the movie at first. I don't. It was very. I think I'm. I think I'm racist against uh, English people from the 1910s. Going. Keep mm-hmm. going. Keep going. Yeah. Keep, keep going. <laughs> Who else? What other groups? The That's the only that... group. That's the only group. Oh, okay. Um, right. And so, yeah, you know, and, and and it's dreary, and you know, they have one of those. What do they call those? Billies. Those uh, those Cop? old police the, officers. Yeah, yeah the old time police officers. Oh, I don't like they bobbies. I think bobbies. Uh, bobbies. bobbies uh, Billy clubs Billy were a thing. Billy clubs. I think bobbies. Bobby sounds right. Yeah, I don't, I don't like. like the, I don't like bobbies. I don't like any movie that has bobbies and. Uh, all yeah, bobbies so, are bastards. Yeah, yeah. So I yeah, just found it kind of, bad. you know, it picked. Yeah, I liked the other segments a little bit be- better. I think so. That's interesting because I actually thought the first was by far my favorite of the hmm. three. Hmm. I actually thought they got progressively worse. Well, would you like to take us on a journey into the second segment, Mike? I would. In the second segment, which takes place somewhere in Canada, 
I, I think at a time that's close to present day of the movie. I think mm-hmm. it's in the 1970s. Um, uh, our main character is a girl who's maybe what, 12? Something like that. She's an orphan. Her, at least her mom and maybe both her parents died in a plane accident. Yeah. And so she's been brought to, is it a relative? Is it her aunt's house? Yeah, that's right. She's been brought to her aunt's house to live. The aunt is uh, like a quintessentially mean, disinterested, cold, uh, judgmental aunt. And uh, she shows up with her cat, whose name is Wellington. And uh, the girl and Wellington are like very scared. They don't really want to be there. They're not sure what's going on. The aunt, I guess this is our, the main character's cousin is also in the house. She lives there with her mom and dad. And the cousin is very mean. She's a mean girl. And she Mm -hmm. starts fucking with the protagonist. And one thing leads to another. And the cousin starts to torment the main character with a toy remote control plane, which must have been one of the first remote control planes. It's very early in the technology for that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so she orchestrates this whole thing, I think specifically to trigger the main character whose parents were killed in a plane accident. She makes it seem like the plane is going to crush her. Very cruel. I mean, that's like really cruel. Really, really cruel. Yeah. I had a lot of questions actually, Mikhail, about trauma wise what's happening in that in that in that moment so anyway we'll come back to that yeah so um there's a beef between the two cousins um meanwhile the mom is like really concerned about whether wellington is making a mess in the house wellington keeps knocking over paint jars which the mom doesn't like so the mom and dad decide they're going to euthanize wellington one day uh the girl finds out but i forget how wellington doesn't get euthanized wellington comes back or gets free somehow or wellington just like keeps coming back kind of right don't they don't they like abandon wellington like way out somewhere and wellington just like shows up but wellington it's implied is a little a little tough is wiley yeah wiley yeah so wellington comes back and then the girls are out in like a little um i think a detached the tea room guess called the, the tea room tea room yeah at one point the ants yeah yeah it made me think i should have one of those because it seemed really nice like the light was beautiful and it it Mm -hmm. seemed like it was a separate building like it wasn't in the main house yeah yeah so they're out there messing around and then this part is totally bonkers and was cool it becomes like a satanic movie Mm -hmm. (laughs) all of a sudden we're like all right well we weren't prepared for this but the girl draws up um a pagan like a what is that a pen pentangle pentagram star with pentagram a pentagram star with a circle around it and um somehow uses like wellington's devious abilities which like abilities to paralyze the cousin inside of the star so the cousin is trapped and then further weaponizes the witchiness of the cat to shrink the cousin down to the size of a mouse and then she stomps on the cousin and the cousin bleeds and it looks like paint and then the mom comes in and cleans up the paint because she thinks the cat, the cat knocked it over, but it was actually her own daughter's blood, which is like, sometimes when you describe these movies, they sound like, well, this has to be great. Like, this is such a great idea, but it's, it wasn't, it wasn't easy for me to watch. It wasn't, I, I well, the, had a hard time the, with the second segment. The acting was, was pretty weird by the two young girls once they add kids like these animal movies if you add kids to it it's just it gets yeah. hard to control it's tough it is tough, I, tough. I, I they do tend to fall apart at that juncture uh i i'm interested in Mikel's take on you know the the psychological ramifications of these actions for the characters you know cleaning mm-hmm. up the the blood of your tiny daughter uh, thinking it's paint, you know, how does that really sit with you? But uh, I also wanted to say, I, I have known a cat named Wellington. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, my my so step- was- grandmother had a cat, had two giant Persian cats named Winston and Wellington that just had like a trough of food and, and would just like, eat all the time. They were just giant and massive and just like really unhealthy cats. Uh, Winston Wellington and uh, sadly they, they've passed on. They, they mm. were, they were massively uh, obese. Did they eat anyone? Nope. No, but they wouldn't have ever had like the opportunity uh, to to even consider it. I mean, they had uh, like a moat of food was put out for them at all times. Um, They were they were they were quite some cats 
you can't do that. Like our cat, uh, who I was talking about earlier in the podcast, also she can only eat a tiny little scoop of food at, at a time. And if you give her more than that, she'll eat all of it and then barf it up. And then she'll mm-hmm. be embarrassed and she won't eat again for like two days. Mm-hmm. So we have to feed her like eight times a day. Mm. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's also, I think, you know, this was just like a trough of dry food. And at a certain point, I remember they had to start also offering Winston and Wellington wet food because they were having kidney issues just from like eating constant dry food and, and being like, I, I guess that can be dehydrating for cats. Yeah. Um, I mean, but I'm talking about, and then like, this is like the 1990s here. Imagine if you only ate like saltine crackers all day. Mm. You know, it would do to your kidneys. I wouldn't give a yeah. cat wet food no matter what. <laughs> Good call. That's a great call. It's Hot gross. take. Hot take. Oh, we we give. Gross. I mean, I feed my dog food that's like delivered to us every month. It's like an absolute embarrassment. Yeah. Um. All right. It's like uh, the, like when you go to the hibachi restaurant and they cook it right in front of you. It's not. It, it's not that extreme. There are places in Los Angeles where you can get like fresh made food specifically for your dog. There's in fact a place called Four Dogs Only uh, on Melrose that is a little restaurant place that that prepares that's food cute. for dogs. I like that. That's cute. Um, there's a there's this cat called Cream Puff. It's the oldest cat ever. It was 38 years old, and the oh. owner. Uh, said the thing that made cream puff live so long is he would give cream puff a little uh, syringe of of red wine every uh, few times a week. That sounds right. Didn't you have an idea for a pet restaurant at some point? That was called elephants in the wall or something. Yeah. Elephants in the wall. Yeah. That's (laughs) the one. That was it. (laughs) That was it. (laughs) I don't remember. I think it was just because you wanted the trunks to come out from the wall. And, serve and they you. would give you, they would hand you the food. They would serve you your food. <laughs> it was, it yeah, was well, like the cruelest concept restaurant ever <laughs> conceived, but, but, uh, but it would have been a delight. The third segment check, takes place right in the 1930s in Hollywood. And uh, Donald Pleasance is, uh, it is Donald Pleasance. Yeah. Donald Pleasance is an actor who is, I guess, kind of a 1930s equivalent of Donald Pleasance, (laughs) like um, some kind of famous horror actor who uh, replaces, he is having an affair with his, on his actress wife with a younger aspiring actor uh, who is his mistress. And uh, I believe, yeah, that's, that, that is, that's, uh, that's Samantha Egger playing his mistress, Adina. And, this one's more comedic, I guess. Like he replaces the pendulum with a real one to kill his wife. Uh, and then her cat, of course, you're, you're wondering where does the cat come in? Her cat takes revenge in a fairly standard way, but a kind of a Poe themed way, uh, as mm-hmm. I, as I recall it. There's a couple, yeah, there's a couple there's weird some... parts in that to me, uh, mainly like they replace the fake blade with a real blade. But then later on in the movie, the spikes in, in the door are real. Yeah. Which is a, it's I confusing. wondered about that, Mikhail. Yeah, that is a good eye. Yeah, it seems like like the prop yeah. the, the 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 set constructor of this film, you know, I guess I guess he thought he could get away with replacing the pendulum because things were already a little dangerous. Mm. <laughs> but I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a, it's it's enjoyable. It's kind of the least of the three segments, in in my opinion. But I do really enjoy yeah. watching Donald Pleasance and John Vernon's in this one. Um, there, there, there's there's kind of a, a fun sense of comedy to to certainly to Donald Pleasance playing an indulgent actor. I read uh, I read a take on a review of this film that kind of I, I guess it's implied that Donald Pleasance is playing basically Vincent Price here like a theater actor who was kind of relegated to horror cinema, but like always was like, had like grander kind of aspirations. And I guess you could say pretensions. Um, and that it's kind of like a, a, a loving in joke towards Vincent Price. Um, I, I can't obviously confirm that. Was the, and was the producer supposed to be Orson Welles ish? I don't know. Yeah. The, which is John Vernon uh, is, is I believe playing the producer. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I maybe maybe so. He's kind of it kind of feels like that's what he's doing. But he, John Vernon also kind of has a deep slow cadence that is a, similar to Wells's. Uh, and then at the end of the movie, um, the cats destroy Peter Cushing's manuscript and and kill him. 
Right? He's, like chased, he's that's just like chased down the true? street by a bunch of cats and then like falls down a flight of stairs. True. I thought that the, the editor puts the manuscript in the fireplace to appease the cat. Oh, There's that's a moment right. Where the the cat's hit, but like, that's the cat. The cat's hypnotize the editor. It appears that way. The cat kind of stares at him like, you know what you need to do with that manuscript. Yeah, the cat so stares. So this is actually, this raises a really interesting question because in, in many of the things I read online, it, fran- it described the cat's influence as being quote unquote supernatural. Mm-hmm. But I actually didn't read the film as having any supernatural overtones. I thought it was just about like cats being really good at killing people. So I therefore didn't read that final scene as the editor being hypnotized, but just him reading the room and realizing that like his cats were about to murder him. So he burns the manuscript to appease his cat as if to say like, I'm not going to publish this book. Let's all Mm. get along and you won't murder me. Oh, well maybe. I mean, I, I, I did admittedly take that as more of like the cats kind of like almost like mentally controlling him doing a thing. Um, But you know, I mean, if you take this movie at face value, which, you know, it's hard to say how scary this film is really trying to be. I, I don't think it's really trying to be scary. It's trying to be, I don't know, kind of ghoulish, but I don't, I don't think it's really intended to frighten. But if you take it at face value where it's trying to make you unnerved by the experience of like living with a cat, which you do, I, I guess the notion that your cat can kind of hypnotize you um, is one of those things that would be kind of frightening to a cat owner because they do just spend a lot of time staring at you and staring at weird things. Um, right. So I could see I could right. see coming home from this movie, sitting there with your cat, your cat's just staring at you for four hours straight. Um, and you're kind of like, all right, that's a little, you know, a little, little chilling. There's just I mean, there's just scarier ways to paint. If they had a cat that, you know, transferred owners and whenever the, the new owner got the cat, the cat would stare at the owner and then the owner would like stab themselves in the eye with a fork or something like and then that would be scarier. Well, cats are not scary animals, and and we've we haven't really delved into this yet. But like, there's you know there's a history of killer animal movies dealing with like animals that are inherently not frightening, yielding absurd results. And the uncanny definitely plays into that. It's not like quite as extreme as like a Night of the Lepus, um, but it, it really is like like you know the fact that it's trying to scare you, particularly with house cats. Uh, is 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 tough. It's tough. They're really cute. They're really cute, and it's pretty obvious that they're eating cat food off these bodies in a lot of scenes, and so on. And you know, but the result is never not entertaining to me. I liked so I liked like you know going back to so now go back to the first one about the lady with the will. Mm-hmm. I liked when she would reach her hand for the will, and a little cat paw would go, and there'd be a great <laughs> yeah. little sound effect of. And I was like, I just wanted, I was at that point, the movie was like half an hour of her just reaching for the will and, and just like, that could have just gone on. And Uh I would have, I would have been pretty, that would have made the movie a lot better for me. Was that the image you sent us, Mike, of like the, 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 like the clear prop cat paw that has like, (laughs) no, that was different. That's actually from the second, from the second one, because the, um, it's, (laughs) It's a totally unnecessary shot that I'm sure was hard to get and took a lot of like logistical uh, rigmarole. Uh, just, uh, this is in the scene after the cousin has been shrunken. And so they needed a version of a cat paw that would look gigantic. So they made just like, it looks like it's felt wrapped yeah. around cardboard with like some um, like black felt for the paw and like white felt for the claws. <laughs> and it doesn't, it doesn't look good. And it's like, well, it doesn't you, look you could good have just left that out. You didn't really have to that was bad. do that. Well, um, but I, I'm sure you're right that they just spent so much time making it that they were like, we have to include this. To, like, yeah. yeah they um, perspective. I've got, I'm going to do tune, tune, tune scene squealers. Okay. Um, two, I'm going to do two scene two. squealers. Um, first one is the, um, when the maid in the first part is stuck in the pantry, that beautiful collection of um, jugs in that closet terracotta lovely jugs i love that i really really like i was like that i love going into someone's house when all their stuff is like in other stuff it's not like you go to get the pasta and it's like Uh, in it's not in the pasta box like a peasant would have it it's like in a jug yeah i loved it i loved that a lot (laughs) and then hold on i forgot i had two my second one um oh (laughs) the second one i like even more in the third part the third movie when the um, 
the director is introduced to the replacement for the dead wife. Um, I don't know what it's called. What are those eyepieces called that old guys <laughs> used to look through? Uh, uh, yeah. like a single, uh, is it a monocle? Is that what it is? It's like, yeah, a, it must be a monocle. I, yeah, I think uh, he's using like a weird viewfinder thing. Like, like <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't really know what it is, but I know, yeah, an eyepiece. Maybe yeah. I don't know. What yeah, you I think call it's that. just an eyepiece. It's yeah, almost maybe. like what a jeweler would have. But anyway, the the main character in that segment is introducing the director to his mistress, who he's hoping will replace the wife that he just murdered. And the director like eyeballs <laughs> eyeballs the mistress through his eyepiece <laughs> to like inspect her to see if he's going to hire her or not. I thought that was really funny. I like that. <laughs> Seen Squealers? I mean, I, I I really liked the, the, the cat making the the daughter mouse sized, uh, and then and then swatting her. It was just not what I expected, and you really want. I liked I liked that too. Actually, that's what, exactly what I said when I to to Tiffany, my wife. I said oh, I wasn't expecting that when she gets shrunken down. That was cool. And you really hate you know. the that that mean kind of bully kid at that point. And, and it, you know, it's it's mm-hmm. a good it's a good horror anthology. You know, mm-hmm. EC Comics style, uh, sinister comeuppance, uh, albeit a little confusing that it turns out that like the, the kids into witchcraft and like the cat. I thought it was kind of implying that the daughter's like into witchcraft and the cat is her familiar. Um, but yeah. Yeah, because she has. Well, the the uh, the orphaned girl has the witchcraft. Oh, yeah. Books and the mom, the aunt says, what are you doing with these? And at some point she burns. She burns them. And she yeah, even that's right. She burns, burns her- a photo of the girl's mom, which I thought seriously. Just, oh, I yeah. I just okay. thought, man, they're just being like so mean to this girl's parents just died and they're just like being really mean to her. There's a classic like uh, anthology segment, I think Vault of Horror with Peter Cushing, where he plays like an old man who like gives like all the kids like Christmas cards and like some people are like trying to drive him to suicide. And they're so like it, it's it's that short film, short horror segment thing of like you want characters to like quickly get their comeuppance, but it's like the segment's almost unbearably cruel. Cause it's just like him opening all these like letters that are designed to like upset him. And, and, mm. and like, and it's like, you're watching like Peter Cushing just like get his feelings hurt. It's like too brutal. It's like, it's yeah. like, like when they get their final comeuppance, it's like unsatisfying. I thought the, the daughter getting killed by the cat was, was perfect. Uh, and so that's, that's my scene spoiler. I, I really love that development. I liked at the end when Orson Welles guy says, cat got your tongue. They, they, they finally yeah, got that good. joke in there at the end. And then you see the cat eating the tongue and that was good. Based on kind of what you mentioned earlier, Mikhail, before we wrap it up, I, I'd love to introduce a, a new segment. Um, like what's your trauma score for each segment? Like, like let's, let's do a trauma segment, score for yeah. the character, the surviving characters, like, well, the, f- the first one, there's no surviving characters. No, just a bunch of cats, and I guess they're probably uh, fine. Well, yep. the cop, the the cop survives, right? Ah, uh, they're fine. Um, yeah, yeah, the yeah. cop's fine. The cat, animals don't carry trauma; they shake it out, so they're okay. And um, isn't the lawyer still alive at the end? All right, Mike, you're going to make this segment really difficult. <laughs> like their trauma was like was like one out of ten. I don't think they're too traumatized, but they see this stuff every day. Okay, that's fair. So, so, I'm just, so I just want us to be accurate. That's all. Is that would that would that be overall for the film? One out of ten. Um, yeah. Let me think. Fairly low trauma. I mean, the mom's going to wonder what happened to her daughter eventually. I guess so. I wasn't prepared for this segment. Well, the mom. I, the mom <laughs> okay, well, cleans next, up next the episode. blood. The mom cleans up the blood of her daughter and doesn't know. That's traumatic. But does she, she'll but find does, out. Does she ever know? I mean, I don't no. think she ever. A mother always knows, Mikkel. You should know that. Mother, mother always knows when she yeah. wipes up her her <laughs> miniature uh, child. <laughs> yeah, she'll find out. Because also, like the corpse, well, the tiny corpse is still under that table. Like a, thing. Like a tiny little skeleton. Yeah. There's like I a don't tiny... know that I would necessarily make the leap. If the mom wipes up that mess and and saw a tiny little human skeleton and kind of realized that, that there was some black magic going on and that her daughter was shrunk. And that's like, that's like pretty capital T trauma right there. I think yeah. that's like 10 out of yeah. 10. Yeah. I would say yeah. that's 10 out of 10. Yeah. 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 That's and uh, the third one who's traumatized. I mean, the, I don't think the Orson Welles producer guy has, he just cares about making his movies. So he doesn't care. Yeah. I don't think he's traumatized. Um, so zero zero out of ten on that one. 
Okay. What about the editor, the book, the publisher, the book publisher? He's enslaved by his cat. It's like unclear what his reality is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he, um, I don't think he's capable of, of, of really feeling anything. Yeah. Is he like, Mikhail, is he repressed or is he withholding? <laughs> the publisher. <laughs> what do you think? Oh, that's good thanks, therapy. Thanks for asking. <laughs> thanks. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think so. Just I got think a whole lot longer, folks. <laughs> I think he's. I think he's repressed. I think he's repressed because he doesn't know. He doesn't even. He doesn't have access to the information. Mm. Oh, wow. Like, Mikel's <laughs> doing really good work. You all can't see it, but the way he just nodded and indicated that Mike should go on. That's it's not brutal. a scene squealer, but at one point the author looks outside and he sees the white cat, the publisher's cat talking to two other cats yes yes and, i love that and he's really? like look I yeah the one yeah. The, when the publisher looks the other two cats are gone he's like what are you talking about but then when the author leaves the house those two punk ass cats like the white cat told him when this guy leaves follow him and that's when it's it turns into like a like a west side story kind of like a gang of cats that attack the author this cat this movie had a i would say this movie had like the most cats per capita in a scene like in the in the first that segment is, yeah that's that actually why i think i i love yeah. this film is is in terms of we should talk about like you know just pure on-screen animal content uh and and this movie does have not only a lot of footage of cats in it but it yeah tons dozens and dozens of cats i would say uh, it's at least 75 percent cat occupied and of that 75 percent, i'd say 65% of that 75% there's multiple cats. Yeah. So if you yeah. watch like a horror film, like, you know, the 1991 uh, movie strays that we mentioned, which is probably the only other like kind of completely straightforward killer cat movie that I can think of where the cat, the cats are kind of just cats. Um, and, and that's supposed to be scary for some reason. That movie has very little cat in it. And we can, we can talk about strays on a later episode. I don't want to, I don't want to get I don't want to get too yeah. off subject here. Obviously, the listeners are are frantic to hear us talk about the uncanny. Um, um, and Cinema Animals Nights so far is all about the deep cuts. When Mikel was talking, I had an idea because you were saying the phrase "this cat" a lot, and I was thinking it would be cool if we started referring to like the way jazz guys say like "cool cat," like that cat over there. If we t- called the movies cats, like whatever movie <laughs> we're talking about, we'll be like this cat, and then talk about it. That's one idea. Okay. <laughs> I'm not like totally married <laughs> to that idea. It's just a thought I had. The other one is a, a, line, a line of dialogue I wrote down that the writer said that is great at the, in the, uh, the first, uh, are they both called wraparound segment, Simon? Or as a whole, both ends are called the wraparound. Yeah, you call it like the wraparound segment and it has interstitial parts. So like the first part of it, I guess. Okay, yeah, the first part. Um, the writer says the... Um, the publisher is like suspicious of the what the manuscript is um, arguing, and he's also suspicious that the I guess almost that like the writer isn't that the writer's trolling or something like he doesn't actually believe that cats are taking over the world. And um, what's his name? The uh, Peter Cushing looks at the publisher right in the eyes and he says, "I believe everything I write." And I thought that's something that we all believe as writers. <laughs> is that true? I love Simon? that. I love that. Yeah, no, I love that. And, 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 and really, this is one of those movies where you just have to love Peter Cushing because he just gives 100%. To, he's so good. Yeah, he's fantastic. I mean, he's, Peter- given, he's given the job of having to very seriously explain why he's terrified of house cats. That's like his entire role. And he just <laughs> gives it his all. He is, he is like 100% credibly scared of a house cat. Uh, wonderful actor. Uh, fortunately, gave us several decades of great movies. Um, that's it for me, folks. I don't have anything else to add about The Uncanny, which was my pick for, for this episode. Do you guys have anything to add before we send the listeners home with the chill in their spines? Uh, well, this movie also ended with a poem. Mike. It did. It did. Yeah, do, I, I can't. Do we, do we know anything about that poset? Name no, that was... poet's garbage. No one's ever. No one cares about that poet. No. <laughs> Giles, something or other. He was a, also a British poet, but no one. I had never heard of him. Maybe I should have, but I I, I wasn't yeah. familiar. Yeah, yeah. Um, should we do oh. ratings? 
Oh, I have, I have one thing I wrote down. How many cats realistically would it take to take you down, to take down a human adult? That's a great question. I'm not going to believe this, Mikkel, but I actually wrote down in my notes, <laughs> I want to get the language right. Um, I wrote down, uh, my answer is essentially there's no number, um, no matter what. Like, no, because I wrote down, I would never let cats get to me. <laughs> right, I wrote that down. <laughs> like, even if it were thousands of cats, I wouldn't, I'd be like, like no. It, it seems like, like, yeah, like even like 300 cats scratching and jumping at you. It seems yeah. like you'd still be able to no, swat them away like, and kick them. And yeah, like it would be, I wouldn't like it and it would be a bad day, maybe even a traumatic no. day, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't. It'd be like running from it. It'd be like running through like a thorn bush or something. Yeah. The question is not how many cats would it take to take you down? I mean, that, that is, I actually, you know what? I should rephrase that. That's a well put question, Mikhail, because how many cats would it take to take you down is a better question than how many cats would it take to kill you? Because of course, mm. cat saliva, we have cat scratch fever and cat saliva is quite infectious. So actually, mm. if you get really bitten by a cat, as, as probably some of our listeners might know, you pretty much always have to go to the hospital. Like if a dog bites you, dog's saliva is relatively clean um, in terms of its bacteria, it mm. won't get infected. But cats, like, like their saliva is designed to infect. Uh, their teeth are designed to puncture. So in fact, uh, my mother had to be on IV antibiotics for several days because she uh, broke up a fight between a dog was attacking a cat in the neighborhood and she 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 grabbed the cat to get away from the dog and the cat bit her, uh, our cat bit her. And uh, she was actually hospitalized for several days with antivenous hmm. uh, antibiotics, not because she's unwell or, or had anything unique. They were just like, this is what happens if a cat really bites you. Her whole hand swelled up. Wait, um, cat- that is, that's scary, but she's lucky it didn't shrink her down. Yeah, no, I mean, I told her that at the time. I, I, while she was in the hospital, I was just like, Mom, Mom, shut up, shut up. Like, shut You're up. Like, Mom, what size are you? Mom, stop talking. God, fuck. Um, and so, yeah, so I tried to explain that. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, I, I don't know. So, so cats actually can be, in, in many ways, quite dangerous, much more than you'd expect. But the filmed reality of someone getting like lightly bit, three days later, their kind of finger swells up. They kind of ignore it. They don't really go to the hospital. Like some tendrils go up their arms. 17 days later, they die of an infection. Um, it, it's not as chilling as, as yeah, what's portrayed true. in this film. In which case, I'm going to say the realistic cats are quite fast and they can jump really high. And if they got to your eyes, uh, okay. Yeah. No, it would take a fucking lot of cats to take someone. It down. would take a lot. Yeah. It would take, a, it would really, they, 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 as long as you, it would take like it would take like a hundred like it would take like two hundred pounds of cats. I think if we think of it in terms of pounds. Pound. Oh wait, no, two hundred pounds it. of cats isn't that much. That's only like twenty cats. But it would be if wow. they came all from above at once. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking of like a bag of cats being dropped on you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for <laughs> I, I I would much rather fight a bag of cats oh. in that scenario than a piano. You. <laughs> <laughs> and for one thing, when you well, get out of the piano, you're gonna have the keys are gonna be in your teeth. And the question you, wasn't which of the two are you more scared of. But you'd rather what did you say? You'd rather fight a bag of cats than a bag of pianos, <laughs> or what? No, I guess I, just, I would too. Actually, Simon's right. Simon's right. Well, I, I I I think it would take more than 200 pounds of cats to take someone down. I I, I think okay. what we're getting at is the inherent flaw of the uncanny, which is you see a bunch of house cats. And your instinctive reaction is not fear. Um, and the movie spends a lot of time telling you why that should be otherwise. But at the end of the day, uh, it's not particularly convincing. Although I, I do say it's entertaining. I give this movie three if, paws out of three. Uh, uh, nice. I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm not ready to score it. I'm not ready to score it. That's okay. If, we can keep talking. I've just if we my... filled the room you're in, if you filled it from floor to ceiling with cats, mm-hmm. and then f- dropped you into the room, I would land then, on the cats. Roll on the cat towards the door <laughs> as the cats thrashed and did whatever they do, yowling, and, and then it would actually probably be like like pretty delightful. But I mean, like quick, like a quicksand if quicksand was made of cats. Hmm. Well, eventually, a certain amount of cats would smother you. Yeah, that's but that's not like, what the movie's talking about. The, yeah, mo- the movie's yeah. not talking about dropping five <laughs> cats on you in like a swimming pool type scenario <laughs> where you're like, that's... I mean, certainly, okay. So if a cat smother yeah okay I, I guess we're talking about how many cats it would take to crush you but i'm, I'm just, talking more like like cats <laughs> so let's say hypothetically you're not wearing shoes 
You're wearing like flip flops. You're in Die Hard. uh, Yeah, you're unprotected. It's like, yeah, John McClane and Die Hard. And like cats are like really scratching and biting and and maybe they get in your eyes and stuff and you can't really fight back. And maybe one of them get like finally nicks an artery or something. I, I, I think the amount of cats that like if you were fighting cats and you had to fight to the point of exhaustion to the point where you would lie down and ultimately let cats kill you. I'm saying 1000 cats. 1,000 cats, and that's, that's 10,000 pounds of cats, basically, right? <laughs> I'm, t- I'm saying 10,000 pounds of cat is the amount that I feel could take me down. And I'm talking about being taken down by cats, being attacked by right. cats. And they're, I feel like, like... they're aggressive, and they're coming at you hard mm-hmm. nonstop for, and, like, and, a, for and, like a few hours. And, and in this scenario, you're, I, I think shoes are really important. <laughs> like footwear is yeah. a really important factor in this scenario yeah. because if you've got like steel-toed right. boots on, that's like really, that's like five hundred yeah. more cats. <laughs> like right. like I, I gotta I, I don't want to be cruel. Uh, we we love cats on Cinema Animals nights, but but I mean they're just not they're just not that scary. And if you've got steel-toed boots, they're not going to be a real threat. Yeah. Um, but the movie's great, and that's why. I really but it does it. matter if. The big difference here is: Are the cats coming down on me, or am I coming down into the cats? Hey, I'm gonna. Add there's a, actually I'm... no number. <laughs> if I'm wearing shoes and I'm the one coming down, there's no number that I'm scared of. But <laughs> if they're coming down on me and I'm barefoot, I'm scared of any like one cat. I'm okay with maybe even two cats, but hmm. three cats I don't want coming down. I mean, it took me until this point in the episode that I was kind of willing to even admit this, but I, I'm allergic to cats, guys. So like, well, that's so I, I have even more reason wow. to be afraid because because yeah. if I was fighting hundreds of cats, eventually I'm going to start sneezing and my eyes are going to start watering. That would so that be actually another... would be a real problem for me now that I say that. I'm taking yeah. my number down to yeah. 500. That yeah. would be scary for a cat horror anth- anthology movie if like you got so allergic that like your uh, you know you put your face like your whole like body just swelled shut. Yeah, you just like swelled up and like you're the the allergies just destroyed you. Yeah, but be... again. That'd be good. But, yeah, but you wouldn't like be inherently frightened of like peanut butter, which you know can have the mm. same effect for a lot of people. I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I five hundred cats is, is my answer. Yeah. We've so five thousand pounds. As we talked about this, I forgot an important scene in the third story, the Hollywood story, when the cat has kittens. Mm. Yeah, and and, he, and yeah. Donald Pleasance drowns the kittens. I and he, he he flushes them down he the flushes toilet. Flushes them down the toilet. That's right. He flushes. His 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 ex his ex wife's like kitten cats kittens down the toilet and that's why the cat yeah takes, like brutal again it's it's that horror anthology thing of having to make the characters hateful very very quickly so mm-hmm. that the audience will relish their comeuppance so right. they have to just do things that are like wait he flushed the kittens down the toilet that actually doesn't even seem just like plumbing wise like a good idea right. uh you know it's like oh hey the toilet's backed up. Oh God! It's seven kittens. <laughs> like, what have you done? Like, why didn't you just put them in the trash? <laughs> like, like, like Jesus! Like, anyway, yeah, that's that's you know. But again, they have to make Donald Pleasance just right. like ghoulishly horrifying, and and his kind of like like bemused. Like, it's funny because like you see the newborn kittens, and he kind of just like comes out of the bathroom, and you hear the toilet flushing. Yeah, and yeah, you're just yeah. Like, but it, but it's a little bit of a leap. Like, I think like the filmmakers, it's like they knew that like parents flushing like goldfish down the toilet when they die and stuff is a thing. So they're like, oh, he flushes the kittens down the toilet. And it's like, I'm not sure that's a thing. Like putting maybe, them in a bag, maybe, right. whatever. I've heard of that, like, like as a cruel way to get rid of kittens. But like, you know, that's in Babe Pig in the City. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I've never heard the flushing them I mean, one by one down the toilet. Uh, in the 1930s, too, toilets probably weren't even that uh, good, strong. Fuck, that's an incredible point, too. <laughs> yeah, they were. I think the pipes were made out of wood. <laughs> maybe those hey, i'm ready to fine. do my um i'm ready maybe, to do my rating lived, lived a long I'm life ready for my rating but um okay. before i do my rating i want to say i'm actually a little bit hurt by something okay Good. Um, you guys okay didn't talk. ask me this whole time what the word for a group of cats is mike what, what would you call a group of cats like the one that it's chases a, peter cushing at the end of this film it's a clowder c-l-o-w-d-e-r clowder clowder what a group of cats is called a clowder that's what the word. That's not a pride. No, that's um. That's like that, lions? that's that's li- Oh, that's like big cats. Yeah, big cats. A clouder. Um, my huh. rating for this movie, I really I loved it, and I'm giving it um, two out of two tubies. That's incredible. Uh, I want to give it. I want to give it 
I want to give it two. I want to give it one out of three tubies. All right. Okay. So that's one. Simon and I gave it, it was five out of five before Mikel. We got said six out of eight. Six it's a six out of eight, which is technically so two three thirds. out of four. Well, oh no. Oh yeah. No. yeah. <laughs> three quarters. Yeah. Two thirds. Yeah, three quarters. So that's actually one of our all time biggest successes on Cinema Animals Nights. Uh, the Uncanny is, it, it joins the Cinema Animal Nights Hall of Fame. Uh, it's technically the best film we've ever reviewed on this show. There are millions of them everywhere, spying on us, watching, waiting. When will they pounce? Cinema animals, cinema animals, cinema animals.